You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Those stories in just a moment, but first, growing concern tonight over the mysterious disappearance of a Calgary man whose burned out truck was found recently here in BC. Nadia Stewart is live in our newsroom with the details. And Nadia, this prompted an appeal from both police in Calgary and in British Columbia. What have you learned? Well, Chris, police want to find 26-year-old Marshall Iwasa. He was last seen by family in Lethbridge on Sunday, November 17th. Iwasa's burnt-out vehicle was discovered near Pemberton on November 23rd in a remote area near the Felix Creek Hut. We spoke with one of the men who stumbled across the scene. He says personal belongings, including two passports, three cell phones, a laptop and an Xbox were also in the area. Police say this is still a missing person investigation as there is nothing yet leading them to believe something suspicious has happened to Awasa, though the scene where his truck was found is an odd one. Hard to know what exactly we thought. I mean, there was a lot of confusion at first, trying to understand what we were looking at and then a little bit of, you know, worry as to the fact that we're seeing passports and smashed cell phones and, you know, we sort of took inventory of the scene, uh, photographed as much as we could and then decided to get out of the area as fast as possible. The truck was found a day before Awasa was reported missing by his family in Calgary. Police released his photo, hoping someone might recognize him. After all, he somehow made his way from Calgary to B.C. Investigators are asking anyone who might have seen him between the time he was last seen on the 17th to the 23rd to give them a call. Back to you, Chris. All right, Nadia, thank you. Maple Ridge RCMP want you to keep an eye out for 72-year-old Ted Vanderveen. He suffers from dementia and hasn't been seen since he left his home this morning to go for a walk in the Ferguson Trails area. The RCMP have a helicopter and dog team looking for him right now. If you see Ted or have any information on his whereabouts, you're asked to call 911 immediately. Holiday season is here, but if your Christmas wish includes ride hailing, you might be disappointed. Companies like Lyft and Uber have all been filing the necessary paperwork and could be up and running in only a few days. But Richard Zussman shows us what's slowing them down, despite the province's promises. The Christmas trees glowing, the decorations appearing, the parties underway. And still, the Passenger Transportation Board hasn't approved any ride-sharing applications. The PTB is finalizing, they've got 21 applications, they're finalizing their processes, and I'm very confident we're going to get ride-hailing by Christmas. The independent oversight body not providing much optimism for companies. A statement sent to Global News reads, the board continues to anticipate that the first decisions on ride-hailing applications will be issued sometime toward the end of 2019. Even once those applications are approved by the province, there are steps. Ride-sharing companies need to ensure insurance from ICBC is in place and a municipal business license is obtained. Public should have an idea when ride-hailing is going to be available, particularly for those who want to spend uh, the evening out on New Year's Eve or during Christmas party season. Uh, it's appalling because business need to know. Uh, you know, these companies need to know. They should know by now. None of the major ride-sharing companies available for an interview, but Cater sent this statement. Cater is preparing to launch its ride-hailing service once licensed by the PTB. Following the license approval, Cater's ride-hailing rollout is expected to be within two weeks. I think that ride-hail companies are very uh, aware of the potential of business licenses. Uh, this is something that we're dealing with municipalities, individual municipalities on 
Lyft and Uber also may be facing a challenge from the Labour Relation Board. A major union has asked the board to rule that Uber and Lyft drivers are actually employees rather than contractors and that they should receive benefits. Recently, for example, in New Jersey, it was ruled that $650 million in unemployment taxes hadn't been paid by Uber and Lyft. And uh, that's because those, that government ruled that they are actually employees of those companies. There are no timeline on the Labour Relations Board decision, but if it goes the union's way, the cost to Lyft and Uber could mean even if they do get rolling in BC, it could end up being far more expensive than it's worth. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. Keith, today marked the end of the fall session at the legislature, mm -hmm. and the premier took some heat over ride-sharing. What's he saying tonight? Yeah, in fact, of all the subjects put to John Horgan in almost a marathon one-hour news conference, most of them, or at least the majority, uh, a, a fair number of them, were about ride-hailing versus anything else. So I've long thought, talking to Democrats, one big problem here, Chris, is ride-hailing is not your traditional NDP industry. It's low-paying jobs. It's non-union. It's unregulated. None of those things are friendly uh, to the NDP philosophy. I put that to the Premier. Uh, he thought it was an interesting hypothesis, but he did agree that uh, ride-hailing is an unusual industry in that it's called a disruptive industry. And it has proven more challenging than even he thought it was going to be at the beginning of his term. Here's the Premier's response. I know that uh, those of you here, perhaps not those that are watching at home, but those of you here who cover the events of the legislature know that sometimes what appears to be the simplest of things takes a long, long time. This was not simple to start with, and the complexities have slowed us down. But I committed during the campaign to bring in ride hailing, and it's coming. I've never detected any enthusiasm, at least not much enthusiasm amongst the NDP government, Chris, for this issue. But John Horgan says we're going to have it uh, before the end of the year, and we probably will. But I don't think we're going to have a huge number of cars out there performing ride-hailing services. Doesn't sound like it. Most of them are going to be centered in Vancouver at the start yeah. anyway. All right. Thanks exactly. very much, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Vancouver police are investigating the city's ninth homicide of 2019. Officers called to Robson and Denman this morning where they found a man in medical distress. Police say the 43-year-old suffered life-threatening injuries this morning near Maine and Hastings before somehow making it all the way to the West End where he collapsed. He was rushed to hospital, but he later died of his injuries. Police are asking anyone with information to come forward. Downtown businesses are reporting a major uptick in shoplifting that often turns violent. One store owner sharing video of just how bad it's become. Jordan Armstrong explains what industry experts say is to blame and why it's about so much more now than just the loss of property. Watch this surveillance video from Sunday. The hatted guy in blue tries to steal chocolate eggs. And when supermarket staff gently intervene, he throws a punch. It happens all too often, especially in the last oh, 8 to 12 months. It seems thieves are becoming more and more violent. David Sullivan, owner of IGA on Robson Street, is sharing the video because he's frustrated by the rampant crime in his store. He says his workers catch four to eight shoplifters per day, and those are just the ones they see. We've caught people from every walk of life. People in suits, people wearing really nice clothes, people with expensive bags. You know, we're not a large corporation. This is a small family business. In this store, there are dozens of cameras. It almost feels like you're in a casino. But the owner says many thieves just don't care. 
especially the drug-addicted people. They don't care about anything, to be honest. The head of the local business association says violent shoplifters are a problem across the region, not just in downtown Vancouver. We brought this matter up to the Attorney General uh, a little over two years ago, and uh, we'll continue to raise this as a concern uh, that our members are sharing with us. I don't think that it's a policing issue because the police care. I think it's more of a the court system. But are the police overwhelmed? They say no. Sullivan points out, though, that when his staff called 911 on Sunday, they were told someone would come by on Tuesday, two days later. I can appreciate that is a very uh, frustrating scenario. Vancouver police haven't noticed an increase uh, of thefts downtown. Sullivan believes that's because many merchants don't bother to call police anymore and only do so when the theft is significant or violence is involved. A small business owner who's dealing with growing losses and frustration. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Zofia Szyzowski, whose son died after being tasered by RCMP at YVR back in 2007, has now died. Szyzowski passed away last week during an annual trip she made to Poland to visit family. She was thrust into the spotlight demanding justice and police accountability after her son's death. Robert Jakanski was tasered a number of times in a confrontation with police after becoming lost and agitated, wandering around the airport for 10 hours looking for his mother. A funeral for Szyzowski will be held in Poland tomorrow. She'll be buried in the same grave as her son. There has been a surge in complaints involving Canadian telecom service providers. In fact, feedback from disgruntled consumers hit an all-time high last year. Jill Bennett runs down the top concerns and the worst offenders. Tis the season for complaints about Canada's major telecom providers. I guess it's kind of expensive. You know, you feel like you're not getting what you're paying for. The CCTS is here to help. Many Canadians have likely never heard of the Commission for Complaints for Telecom Television Services, but more than 19,000 people filed complaints there in just the past year. It's an increase of 35% and a new record. Billing is the number one issue, so we get a lot of customers that make complaints with regard to the billing of their services. It's no surprise the largest telecom providers get the most complaints. Bell received 30% followed by Rogers at 10% and TELUS at 9 In a statement, Bell said CCTS complaints were up for all national carriers, but Bell had the lowest increase among major providers. TELUS has been actually quite good. They installed the fiber optic in my building. Sometimes we've had problems where it's been down, but then it's up within a few hours. When you have a problem with your, uh, with your bills and all that, it's just so hard to contact them. In emailed statements, TELUS said the company has been on a journey to put customers first for over a decade and there is still work to be done. While Rogers stated even one complaint is too many, the company is on a multi-year journey to improve customer service. Shaw Communications said it appreciates the feedback and will use it to make products and customer service better. In spite of the increase of complaints we tend to see year over year, we're successful at resolving over 90% of them. So it's a great option for customers who are struggling in getting their complaints resolved. The report finds Canadians complain the most about wireless service, followed by internet issues, television, and finally local phone services. Jill Bennett, Global News. Right now though, Canada's largest outdoor gear retailer, BC-based Mountain Equipment Co-op, acknowledging it's facing some financial trouble. For the first time, the company is losing money, a multi-million dollar hit to its bottom line. 
Aaron MacArthur has more on the potential factors at play and what retail analysts are saying about the company's future. It's a West Coast institution, a Canadian retail icon. But MEC is facing some significant growing pains. Nearly half a billion dollars in sales and the co-op is losing money. $11 million last year. Concern from membership is that the organization is being poorly managed and that number could start to get a whole lot bigger. The conversation about how we're going to turn this around and how we're going to make our cooperative financially sustainable needs to happen with the members. MEC launched in 1971 out of the back of a van and has grown to 22 stores with millions of members. There is criticism the company spent too big recently on a new head office and flagship stores in Vancouver and Toronto. According to retail experts, the company bet on branding lifestyle ahead of backcountry. Sales growth hasn't met expectations. They made their play, uh, but it comes at some cost. But we're seeing them grapple with these things and try and uh, emerge uh, out the other side in a better shape than they were yesterday. The Canadian retailer has faced stiff competition from other brands online and on the bricks and mortar side. Critics are wondering if it's time to focus on the core business. When I hear management speaking today, I hear a lot of them comparing us to online retailers, to big box stores, and we don't need to to try to emulate those organizations. New business models continue to turn traditional retail on its head. MEC has recently been forced into a leadership shakeup. The new CEO believes the company's financial future stronger than some are suggesting. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Salvation Army launching its 129th Christmas kettle campaign in downtown Vancouver today. The Salvation Army will have kettles in 40 communities across B.C., hoping to raise $4 million for its programs that help the less fortunate. You think about a, a day like today or the last couple of days, uh, we're bundled up, we're fine, but there's people living on the streets uh, in shorts, uh, in t-shirts. Uh, so the money we're raising today are going to help those people, not only during the Christmas season, but all year long. A Christmas controversy of all things has the city of Penticton split tonight. A local shopping mall has fired Santa after the man who plays him posted some naughty photos online. Global Okanagan's Shelby Tom spoke to him about the decision that cost him his job. What do you want? Move over, Billy Bob Thornton. There's a new bad Santa coming to town. Here is the photo I posted on Facebook of the lady and the flask. Gary Hopped is known for obliging to cheeky photo requests when he puts on his red suit. The South Okanagan Santa stand-in shared this photo pretending to drink from a flask. And this one seemingly getting frisky with a friend in his own home wearing his own suit. Hoping others would find some jolly in this naughty side of his St. Nick, Gary shared them on social media. But the images landed him on the naughty list. Penticton's Cherry Lane Shopping Centre terminated the 69-year-old Santa's helper after someone filed a complaint. I think it's terrible what they did, but it, it doesn't... It doesn't end what I do. It wasn't the first time he's been in hot water. Mall management warned him last Christmas when they saw this consensual candid moment with an elf friend. While some of his fun did take place at the mall Santa display, the recent photos did not. He does admit sharing them with the world was a bit naive. I don't know that I would do it any differently because they're, they're, they're just honest pictures and we were having fun. If you know Gary, 
That's just who he is. He does things. He's a very fun-loving, very jolly, happy man. Shoppers, a reaction to the term is mixed. I think people are overreacting. I don't think it's appropriate. You can't get away with that. I don't think he should have been terminated. He did that on personal time. The Cherry Lane Shopping Center behind me didn't respond to our request for comment. The mall Santa says whether the photos are perceived as naughty or nice, he hopes to get his jolly job back. Because that's what I wanted to do. There's also the fact that there's a $5,000 contract that they just said, oh no, we're not, we don't have to pay you now. Naughty Santa has had a job offer, but Gary says he's hoping to stick to children's events to help celebrate the real magic of the season. Ho, 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 ho! Merry Christmas. Shelby Tom, Global News. And from naughty to nice, and one of Hollywood's biggest stars giving a shout out to an Edmonton man who once gave McDonald's customers a little more than they expected. I worked at McDonald's for two and a half years and I put 11 nuggets in almost every 10 piece I made. That is a man who's not only being nice, but he's feeding the world a little bit better and bucking the corporate strategy. Bravo, that's a nice thing to do. Tom Hanks sharing Cody Bondarchuk's post in a video where the actor read out a number of nice tweets. Cody responded on social media saying on Facebook that Tom Hanks reading his tweet is the greatest thing I will ever achieve. All right, there's a Christmas buzz down at the PE Coliseum tonight where it's opening night for Disney on Ice. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is live with more on Mickey's search party, Christy, and I, I see you're playing the part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to be Mickey or Minnie, whichever. But yeah, search party. And guess what they're looking for? They're looking for Tinkerbell. And I've got two of my new little friends here. This is Maverick over here. Uh, one of uh, the crew on the search party, little Peter Pan. And this is Tinkerbell, Maverick and Mackenzie. And they are so excited to see the show. Who's your favorite Disney character, Mackenzie? Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, is that way you dressed up like her? They are so excited to see the show. Lots of little kids here tonight, all dressed up. Disney on Ice kicks off tonight, goes right through the weekend. There's lots of shows. There's actually three shows on Saturday, two on Sunday. And this one's a bit different than most. Apparently, this one is much more interactive with the audience, as well as the fact that there's lots of acrobatics. Did you know that, Mackenzie? There's going to be lots of acrobatics tonight. Are you a skater? Yes. Maverick, thanks for coming back. So lots of fun down here, Chris. If you want tickets, you go to ticketleader.ca, and we look forward to seeing you down here at the Peony Coliseum. Thanks. Oh, there go my friends. They're, <laughs> Bye, they're gone. The kids are so <laughs> cute, and, on, and so are you, Christy, with those ears on. Very nice. The Transportation Safety Board is investigating an air tragedy in Ontario that killed seven people, including three children. The plane was on a flight from the Toronto area to Quebec when it crashed in a wooded area near Kingston. A plane crash in Kingston leaves seven dead, including three children. An American aircraft flying to Quebec City from Toronto's Buttonville Airport. The Piper model PA-32R crashed in the woods near Highway 401 at around 5 p.m. Wednesday. Now, the Transportation Safety Board and Kingston Police are investigating the cause. We'll be looking for any pieces or any components that may offer some clues as to what, what may have happened. 
According to 8-Wing Trenton, its Joint Rescue Coordination Center received an emergency beacon from the aircraft at around 6 p.m. Within the next hour, the Air Force deployed its 424 Transport and Rescue Squadron in a Griffin helicopter. Weather conditions are being looked at. According to Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell, there was a wind warning for Kingston with gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour. Right at around 5 o'clock, we see this one little cell that's pushing through, and this is where the plane crashed right here. And you see there was an area of yellow for, for a little two-minute period, likely when that, that plane went down. A Kingston pilot who flies the same plane model says it can navigate through heavy cloud coverage, but it's not recommended. That aircraft likely, and I'm speculating a bit here, did not have protection for icing, so that may have been an issue. Transportation Safety Board and Kingston Police say the investigation is ongoing. Craig Krause, Global News, Kingston. Hong Kong protesters held a peaceful Thanksgiving Day rally tonight urging the world to follow the U.S. by passing laws backing human rights in the Chinese territory. The two American bills signed into law by Donald Trump prescribe economic sanctions against Hong Kong and ban the export of certain non-lethal weapons to Hong Kong police. The protesters hope the laws will spur Canada, Britain and other Western nations to follow suit. The Chinese government has denounced the bills which come four days after a stunning election victory by pro-democracy candidates in local elections there. A strange story out of Wisconsin today where a three-year-old girl appears to have been saved by one of her stuffed animals. Video shows police removing a bullet from a stuffy the girl sleeps with. Officers say the stray bullet ripped through her bedroom wall and hit the baby shark, which was about six inches from the girl's head. She was sleeping at the time. Police say there was a gunfight in the neighborhood. Luckily, no one was hurt. Despite concerns about high winds grounding the giant Macy's Thanksgiving Parade balloons, they were cleared for flight today. But because they were kept low to the ground, there were a few close calls. There you see a parade marcher was knocked off their feet by one of the balloons. Luckily, they were okay. Oh, here comes Smokey! Smokey Bear also gave some parade watchers a thrill, and some of his handlers had their hands full, keeping him under control at all times. For the most part, the balloons made their way down the streets of Manhattan without incident, and of course, the wind was no concern for the star of the parade, Santa Claus. In Health Matters tonight, a NewsHour update on the challenges facing parents of children with autism. Last December, we reported the wait to get an official diagnosis and access to government funding was a staggering 55 weeks. The NDP government says it's trying, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, one year later, the wait is even longer. Two-year-old Zachary loves the Wiggles and his mom, of course. But he's struggling, showing signs he may be on the autism spectrum. He'll go around to all the children and be pushing them and pulling them right. and, and that kind of thing. He does some repetitive behaviors as well. The wait list to get an assessment? Massive. The provincial average, 60 weeks. Longer in some regions. Well, we've been told right now that we're probably looking at about two years. One year ago, the wait was 55 weeks. 
at the time, BC's representative for children and youth recommended weights be reduced to three months by 2021. BC Children's Hospital, which oversees assessments around BC, promised to do better. I'm excited to work towards that goal. So you're going to try to get there? Absolutely. A funding increase of more than a million dollars allowed for additional assessments, but demand is soaring. Last year, an extra 600 referrals were made, yet only 170 additional assessments were completed. We did respond in exactly the way we said, which is to significantly increase the number of assessments. They cost between 2500 and 5000 each, and we have to keep working on it because clearly um, those wait times are too long for parents and for children. For Therese, the delays are unacceptable. There has to be something that can be done to move up the wait list for all, everybody that's you know, in the process right now. She's now planning to pay several thousand dollars for a private assessment so that Zachary can finally get a diagnosis and the help he may need. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. If your child is struggling with early reading skills, you might want to think about getting them a dog. That's the conclusion of a new UBC study into the reading habits of children in grades 1 to 3. Linda Aylesworth explains why. Nothing like a dog or three to draw a crowd. At UBC's Okanagan campus, scenes like this are not uncommon. We do have a good dog presence on this campus, thanks to our wonderful program called BARK. BARK, Building Academic Retention Through Canines, was created seven years ago. It connects therapy dogs that regularly visit the campus with students, some of whom are struggling with stress and homesickness. Students here on this campus have come to rely heavily on that as part of their well-being protocol. And then it's a real research hub. Essentially, we're looking at the effects of these dogs on student well-being. PhD student Camille Rousseau conducted one of those research projects, one that combined her two favorite topics. I've always been curious about what attracts children to animals um, and how those experiences might improve their education. She wanted to know if having a dog present would help children read out loud. So she gave children books to read with and without a dog nearby. Our study, we saw that children from grades 1 to 3 read for a longer period of time with a challenging passage if a dog is present than uh, compared to when the dog is not present. That reading to therapy dogs can make children better readers is a popular idea that's growing in practice. But this is the first study to show that the presence of dogs actually encourages children to tough out difficult passages instead of giving up. And the dogs render them at ease, reduce their stress, and provide this non-threatening audience for them. And you see reading proficiency flourish. And it doesn't hurt that they're soft and warm to touch. Not to mention adorable and eager to become best friends at first sight. The messaging to the dog is, you're the most important thing in the room right now. And the messaging to the student is from the dog is, you're the most important thing. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Coming up, some stellar reading material that could have been one of the biggest security breaches in Hollywood history. It's the destiny of a Jedi. The secret is out. Which star of the new Star Wars movie was responsible for the top secret script ending up on eBay? That's coming up right after the forecast. And we'll check back in with Christy, who's over at the PE for Disney on Ice. Let's hope that's the only ice in the forecast over the weekend, Christy. 
That's right. Lots of ice in the forecast. That's for sure, Chris. So we're here at the opening night for Disney on Ice. It runs right through the weekend. The seats are starting to fill up as we get underway at 7 o'clock, and I'll be kicking things off by emceeing for them tonight. So looking forward to it. Let's talk about this ice. Uh, hair ice. Do you remember hearing about this last year? Yes, once again, hair ice spotted across the province. This one in Royston looks like the top of Keith Baldry's hair, maybe. Now, this ice, though, is uh, not soft to the touch. It's brittle. And uh, if you want a full explanation of how this is formed, I've got it on our website. All you have to do is go to our website and search hair ice. And there's a full explanation as well as other photos from around the province. It's not rare, but uh, we do see them every once in a while throughout the year. Bluebird opening day on Whistler Blackcomb today. Wow, what a stunning day. Same for Big White. Silver Star also open today. Now, we are in for a cold one tonight. Still wind chill as a factor, not in the interior regions, but all around the interior, so along the coast and even in southern regions. So Metro Vancouver, Minus 9 with the wind chill tonight. It is going to feel cold, but a regular temperature only minus 3. So if you're wondering if we're close to a record, not even close. Minus 14 would be a record on this day. But it sure feels cold with that wind chill. These are your daytime highs tomorrow with sunshine not making your way up above the freezing mark in most areas across the interior. South coast regions, though, will just barely 3 and 4 degrees. That's well below seasonal for this time of year. Chris, no rain in the forecast, but we will see a little bit of cloud later or in the early part of next week. All right, so good time down here. Can't wait to see Mickey. I got my ears all set up. I'll throw it back to you in the studio now. Absolutely beautiful. All right, you got Squire chuckling over here too. Uh, and we'll see you on Sunday. For those of you who are out on Sunday for the uh, Santa Claus Parade, should be a good time. All right, nothing in Hollywood is a more closely guarded secret than the script for a new Star Wars movie. So how did one for the upcoming The Rise of Skywalker end up on eBay? It wasn't C-3PO, R2-D2, or even BB-8. Turns out it was actor John Boyega who plays resistance fighter Finn. Boyega admits that after a night of partying, he left the script under his bed. A housekeeper found it and gave it to someone who put it up on eBay for about 100 bucks Canadian. Luckily, a Disney employee saw it and bought it before anyone else could. No stormtroopers involved. Happy Thanksgiving to our American friends who are watching. It's all about football in the U.S. today, Whoa. but uh, starting yes. with hockey. We'll start with hockey mm -hmm. because, because actually this is an American Thanksgiving theme. Yes. What I'm about to say. Okay. I know it's today, tomorrow's Black Friday. That's right. Last night was Black Wednesday for Canuck fans. That was a rough third <laughs> period. Despite scoring six goals last night against Pittsburgh, still wasn't enough to get even a point. However... It's American Thanksgiving, and the Canucks are technically third in their division, and therefore in a playoff spot. Why am I telling you this? Because that should be mathematically soothing to Canuck Nation. Because in the last six years, and probably beyond, but we're just checking the last six, 75% of all teams in a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving make the playoffs for real in April. Doesn't guarantee you'll make it. Look at St. Louis last year. Came out of nowhere and won the cup. But historically, the chances are good if you're in a playoff spot right now. And last year at this time, the Canucks were not in a playoff spot, and they stayed that way. Uh, only one game in the NHL tonight. They don't play a lot on Thanksgiving. It's Taylor Hall, Nico Heeshear, and the Devils against Montreal. And this is Miles Wood. Montreal has really been struggling of late, defensively and also with goaltending. This is not vintage price. No, losing rebounds. 
And Jesper Bolquist with the goal there to make it 4-3. It's in the third period. This man's in a bit of job trouble. Jason Garrett and the Cowboys at home to Buffalo. On the run. Fires it again. It's Beasley. Cole Beasley. 25-yard touchdown pass from Josh Allen, the former Cowboy. And then how about this? Eight. Trickery, I tell you. A little trickery and a pass to boot. That's John Brown to Devin Singletary. Touchdown. And that made it 13-7 Bills at the half. Cowboys scored the first touchdown, and it was pretty much all Buffalo from there. Josh Allen, he can run, and he scores. Big win for the Bills over the Cowboys. Sean Payton and the uh, Saints against Atlanta. This guy is one of the most interesting players in the NFL. Taysom Hill, a backup quarterback for the Saints. He blocks kicks, and he is lining up as receiver or tight end or whatever. He can pretty much do it all, this guy. He is truly the NFL Swiss Army knife right now. He has two touchdowns in this game, and the Saints are leading Atlanta. First game of the day. That's uh, David Blau, his first start in the NFL and just chucks it deep. And Kenny Galladay, his first completion is a 75-yard touchdown pass. Galladay with the score there. Mitch Trubisky, who has been under a lot of criticism in Chicago, actually had a pretty good day. That's a pass to a Jesper Horstead. That's a good catch, too. 17-17 at that point, and then a three-yard pass here to David Montgomery. The Bears won this game 24-20, very much alive in the NFC playoff race. I shouldn't say very much alive, but they are alive at 6-6. Six six. This week at Burnaby's Copeland Arena, some of the best ringette players in the world are involved in the World Ringette Championships. Five teams in all, with Canada being the main squad. But this event is not just to decide who is the best in the world, but also to promote the game as well. We are so excited. We are hosting two teams from Canada, two from Finland, USA, Sweden, and Czech Republic. For the longest time, it was just Canada playing ringette. Understandable when you remember the sport was invented here in Canada back in 1963. Now, depending on who you talk with, the growth of ringette as a sport is either stagnant or slightly growing. So um, it's, it has started to grow. We saw, I think, probably a decade plus when hockey really started to pick up, especially for women, where we sort of saw the decline, right? Girls can play hockey. They can now go get scholarships in hockey. Why go ringette? But we're seeing ringette grow in schools, and people can actually now do that at university. So I've started to see the growth, and we're starting to see countries join in. When I My first Worlds four Worlds ago, we only had Canada, Finland, Sweden, USA. Now we've got Czech, Slovakia has participated, so it's definitely growing, which is awesome. The comparison between hockey and ringette is a long-standing and natural one. You see skates and sticks and think, why not hockey? Those who play ringette say the exact opposite. Why not ringette? It's a very fast game, right? So strategy is different. Um, uh, yeah, the strategy gameplay is very different. Um, the only thing similar is it's on ice. Every sport wants to grow its game and ringette is no different. At this week's World Championship in Burnaby, it's more than friends and family watching the action from the stands. Organizers are busing in four to 500 children every day and exposing them to ringette. The grassroots effort extending way beyond hopping on a bus, ringette is committed to bringing and teaching the game to as many kids as possible. 
We have also been running a lot of gym ringette sessions. So we are going to them in their school and teaching a modified ringette, so in the gymnasiums. And so then they're able to try because that's how you learn best and that's how that passion starts. You get that stick in your hand, you give it a shot, and then hopefully that creates the pathway for them to go from gym ringette to get fired up by the incredible athletes, then go try ringette and then get involved in an association. And that's how the sport grows. It's through events like this. And next year, there will be a second Canadian Formula One driver. Nicholas Latifi of Montreal will drive for Williams, which was dead last in the standings this year. He joins a fellow Montrealer, Lance Stroll, as Canadians on the F1 circuit. Here's your snow report for this evening. Several mountains open today with blue sky to kick off the season. Whistler Blackcomb open today with a base of 27 centimeters. Grouse and Cypress will open tomorrow. Sasquatch and Manning Park still waiting to find a date, but Revelstoke and Fernie will also open tomorrow. Kicking Horse opens on December 6th. Big White and Silver Star open today with a base of 54 and 57. Sun Peaks is also open with a base of 65. Apex will open on December 7th. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date. Whitewater December 6th. Red Mountain December 12th and Powder King is open with a great base for this time of year, 156. Coming up on ET Canada, we go behind the scenes with all the problems that America's got talent and all the little things that went oh so wrong during our Jumanji interview. That is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But first, back to you, Chris. All right, Ross, thank you very much. Let's go back to the early 1980s, shall we? For the release. Wait a minute, do I have to dress like it though? No, no, you don't. But look at this image, it's iconic. Ah! E.T. was first released in Canada back then, and to this day, it's one of the most iconic family movies of all time. And today, during the broadcast of the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, in a commercial, two of its stars were finally reunited, one of them traveling a long way. It's been 37 years since E.T. and Elliot parted ways. And Henry Thomas did not expect a reunion. Sort of a thing that's never going to happen. But in a two-minute commercial during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade... (laughs) E.T. returned. To see the now-grown husband and father, still played by Thomas. You came back! It's actually the only way you can do a sequel to E.T., in, in any form, uh, is the short form. Fiercely protective of his original film, director Steven Spielberg approved the story, which incorporates Comcast Xfinity products. The ad gave a new generation of filmmakers... This is live from Mars. ...the chance to bring the lovable alien back to life. Oh. The old AT had a, had a lot of uh, physical problems, you know. He was... Uh, he, he broke down a lot. His eyelids constantly stuck. The commercial has nods to the original film, and Thomas says it stays true to the themes of friendship, family, and loyalty. It's nothing other than a story of uh, two friends reuniting. To rekindle the memories. right here. Of a Hollywood classic. Mark Barger, NBC News. Could still be satellite debris material. Could still be. Maybe. Very, very true. Very true. Okay, uh, interesting footnote to that. Uh, The commercial was actually filmed here. Capital Media was the local production company. Really? Sophie's best friend forever, Trudy, did all the hair and makeup. He doesn't have any hair. All the other people. (laughs) For the other people. Okay. Shout out to all the local film talent around here. Uh, That's it for us. Thanks very much for watching. Hope you have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.